not of the philosophers and the wise. Security, security, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and all except God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the human soul. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have separated myself from him. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and whom and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I have separated myself from him. I have fled, renounced, crucified him. May I never be separated from him. He maintains himself in me only in the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally in the joy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Pascal's life was changed from that day forward. For the rest of his life, he was dedicated to God, and most of the rest of his works were writings about theology. His most famous uh, theological works were... uh, a series of letters that he wrote defending the theology of the Jansenist branch of the Catholic Church. Um, Mainstream Catholicism, and especially the Jesuit movement, and uh, and Pope Innocent X, they saw the Jansenists as too similar to Protestants. They especially thought that they had too much in common with John Calvin. And so they condemned the movement and accused it of heresy. But Pascal defended the Jansenist movement uh, and their theology in what he called les, I'm going to butcher the French here, les provinciales, which were 18 letters or essays that he wrote to to, uh, defend the Jensenists. And they were regarded uh, even now as this great literature full of irony and satire as he attacked the Jesuits and defended the Jansenist demand for a return to morality and to Augustine's belief uh, in divine grace. A key point in these letters was that Pascal argued against the popular idea that a sinner could atone for continued sin by simply attending the Mass and taking communion without any real repentance for sin. So for several years, uh, Pascal worked on his greatest theological writing, the one uh, that contains the big idea that we want to talk about this morning, but, but he failed to finish it before his death. But his uh, followers and friends, uh, they collected his unfinished manuscript and his notes, and they finished his work and published it posthumously. They give it the French title, Pensies, which means thoughts. And it's still in print 400 years later. I I looked it up on Amazon. There's about uh, a dozen different English versions available right now on Amazon.com. And with this book, Pascal intended to present an argument for Christianity aimed at the intellectual skeptic. And there's one passage in the Pensies that, uh, that's especially relevant to our topic this morning. And here's what Pascal wrote. He said, 
What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. This idea that Pascal wrote about is is very often restated or paraphrased to say that all of us have within us a God-shaped hole. As humans, we all have a need within us that only God can fill. As Pascal says, we try in vain to fill this hole with everything around us. Prophet Jeremiah also saw that the people in his day sought to fill the needs in their lives with things other than God. The prophet sees this human need as a thirst rather than as a hole, uh, but the idea is similar. He describes their attempts to quench their thirst with a powerful metaphor. Jeremiah said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, throughout history, people have tended to do the same thing. We reject God, the spring of living water, who would fill the hole in our lives and satisfy our longing and quench our spiritual thirst. And we instead attempt to find satisfaction somewhere else, anywhere else. We're digging our own cisterns in a vain attempt to fill up the God-shaped hole with things that can never fill it. Now, to say that everyone has a God-shaped hole in their lives is not to say that everyone is aware of their need for God. Uh, Some people have coping mechanisms that allow them to get on pretty well in life without really feeling their need too acutely. However, Even those people who don't really feel a great longing for God or longing for who knows what, they're still missing God nonetheless. And here's the way C.S. Lewis put it. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What this means is that if we don't have God in our lives, uh, filling that void that is there, our lives are diminished, whether we manage to ignore that fact or not. There are many people out there, and perhaps some people in here today, who are living without God and happily making mud pies in the slum. Actually, making mud pies can be kind of fun. But life can be so much more. Because when God is taking his rightful place in our lives, our lives are better. If we want, uh, if we want God in our lives... We need to look at the teachings of Jesus from, from John, chapter, uh, John chapter 10. 
Jesus said this. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Other translations say, have life abundantly. Jesus has come to give us that full and complete life. And if we want our life to the full, we need to fill it with God. But God does not fill the hole in every person's life. The point is that many people need God in their lives, but they don't have him. In another place in the Bible, Jesus said, uh, it's describing him at the, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus invites people to come to him and find satisfaction for their thirst. He makes a free offer, but it is only those who come to him that he gives the living water. Jesus calls out to all who are thirsty and offers to quench their thirst. But a lot of people who were there that day in Jerusalem, and a lot of people today who read this in the Bible, say something like, thanks for the offer, Jesus, but I'm really not all that thirsty right now. And they don't come to him for satisfaction. So that's the first thing we need in order to find satisfaction in God. We need to feel thirsty. We need to understand our need for him. We need to realize that the things that we are doing to try to bring joy and satisfaction in our lives are mud pies. And then we need to come to him to satisfy our needs. But many of us don't do that. And I want to come back to the story of Blaise Pascal for a bit to illustrate. So when, when Pascal was a young man, he was a cultural Christian, I would call him. He, he would have said, oh yeah, I believe in Christianity. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, but he didn't really have a true faith in God. And then later, when he heard a much better explanation of the biblical gospel from the, from the Jansenist priests, Pascal's faith grew. And now he, had a, a much more, he was much more dedicated to Christianity, but he still only had an intellectual faith. He understood many true facts about God and the Bible and accepted them, but it was still just something was missing. We know that his faith at that point was still inadequate because of the great significance he put on that dramatic encounter with God he had and the life change that took place after. What was it that was missing? Well, he was missing a real relationship with God. His faith was a matter of agreeing with certain doctrines, attending religious services, trying to live a moral life, supporting his local church, but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus until that fateful night that he wrote about on the parchment. Because that's what it takes to fill our God-shaped hole. It takes a relationship with God. Not just simple belief in, in certain facts about God. 
If we look again at Jesus teaching the gospel of John, we see uh, Jesus inviting us to a relationship. Uh, this is uh, on the, the night, the Jesus' final night with his disciples. He had a lot of things to teach. We're going to look at a few things here from John chapters 14, 15, 16. Really encourage you to go home and read those. A lot of great stuff in there and you'll help you think through some of the things we're talking about here. Anyway, here we go. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. All that talk about love, it's relationships that Jesus is talking about. Jesus, the Father, Jesus' followers, all loving one another and being loved by one another. And the result of these loving relationships is joy, complete joy. Jesus goes on, he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Several times in these uh, these verses, Jesus insists we need to keep his commands or we need to do what he commands. But what is it that he commands? He tells us right here. The command is simply to love. Most of the time when the Bible teaches about our relationship to God, it is as a father to his children. But here Jesus says that his followers are his friends. Uh, what, is it, what is it that makes it a friendship? It's the fact that we know God. But a knowledge that Jesus is talking about here is not just <clears throat> learning facts about God. It is the kind of experiential knowledge that Jesus' disciples had after spending three years walking, talking, eating, and working with Jesus. It's a relational knowledge. They knew him. They had a relationship with him. They had experienced Jesus. And that's why Jesus can call them his friends because they know him. But where does that leave us? Right? Jesus went back to the Father After he rose from the dead, he's not here walking, talking, and eating with us like he was with those guys. There's a couple more points that Jesus makes in the same context in the Gospel of John that help us to understand our own relationship with God and how we can have um, a true relationship with God. First one uh, here, it says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Here Jesus promises that he will take us to live with him in his father's house when he returns. These verses emphasize that God has much room for us in his home. He is welcoming us. He wants to be with us. A place where we can live with him forever is being prepared for us. 
In the book of Revelation, this place is described as the New Jerusalem. And one of the key things that uh, is used to describe the New Jerusalem there is that there will be no temple in the New Jerusalem. Why not? Because God will be right there with his people living among us. We'll have no need for a temple. That is the relationship with God that we have to look forward to. God will welcome his people into his dwelling and we will enjoy direct fellowship and relationship with him. But what about now? What about now? What kind of relationship am I able to have with God now? How can we experience him in this time when Jesus has gone to the Father and we have not yet gone to be with him there? Jesus tells us in uh, John chapter 16, where he says, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate that Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in God and experience salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to each one of us and indwells us for the rest of our life. Jesus explained it again like this. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit to help us and to be with us forever. And when Jesus left to go to the Father, he did not leave us as orphans, leave us alone here. We have a relationship with God through our experience of the Holy Spirit. And how do we experience the Spirit? Well, some ways that we meet with him are in earnest prayer. We meet with him as we seek help in understanding the scriptures. And we might meet with him in a dramatic encounter like what happened to Pascal, in which he felt the presence of God as fire, conviction, and assurance, and love. That kind of spectacular experience is not very common. In fact, it seems like it only happened once to Pascal. That's why it was such a big thing to him, and he wrote it down and carried it around with him the rest of his life. Most of the time, we have smaller experiences in which we feel God's presence and we receive assurance of his love and conviction of sins and a boost to our faith. We can expect to have these kinds of experiences of God throughout our Christian lives. God wants to have a relationship with us in which we connect with him through the inner working of the Holy Spirit. The God-shaped hole in each one of us is there because we were created to have a relationship with God. And without it, there is emptiness and a lack. But God wants to fill that hole. 
Not simply with religious practices, but with a real relationship with us. I encourage you to seek out this relationship with God. You need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life. Seek to get to know God, not only by learning facts about him, but by looking to understand his character. Seek after God, and here's what he has promised. He said, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart.